Would you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 this morning? Philippians chapter 2 in your copy of God's Word. In our previous studies here in Philippians 2, we've learned that followers of Christ are to be bright lights. Lights that shine in the darkness of the world around them, and they do so by not, oh boy, we've heard this, haven't we, by not grumbling and disputing and by working out their own salvation. That is, Christians are to live out their faith. And the only way they are able to live this way is because people who have trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior have God working in them. The work of the Holy Spirit, giving his children, giving his people the desire and the ability to do his will. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, and that's a description of how God has called you to live. And as you live by faith, God works in you, and we can praise him for that. God is at work in us. We ought never forget that. And the focus and the outcome of all of, it, all of this is that, that you are a living testimony, that you are doing everything for God's glory. As we continue here with the conclusion of Philippians chapter 2, we arrive at Paul's third real-life example of what it means to do everything for God's glory his third real-life example of what it looks like to live for Christ. It's seen in the life and the service of a man named Epaphroditus. We find him in the last few verses of Philippians chapter 2. And what we find is a person who was more concerned with how much he could give rather than being concerned with how much he could get. This man was a living example of sacrificial service, and may he be an example to us all. In fact, God put him here in the Word so that he would be. In fact, the name Epaphroditus actually means lovely or or charming. And as we're going to see here, as we read in Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 25, we're going to see how well he lived up to his name. Let's take note this morning. So follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read from the English Standard Version, beginning at verse 25. I'll read through verse 30. Paul writes, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. I want you to notice how Paul describes Epaphroditus in verse 25. Paul calls him my brother 
and fellow worker and fellow soldier. And to the Philippians, he says, he is your messenger and minister to my need. So first note how Paul identifies him as a brother. Think about that. He calls him a brother. He and Epaphroditus were spiritual brothers. They both had trusted in Christ. They both were serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So God was their spiritual father, and they were brothers in the Lord. And by saying he is, think about it, he says he is my brother. By saying that he is my brother, it's clear that there's a strong bond between them. And because of their bond, founded on their relationship with Christ, they could enjoy something all believers can enjoy, that is, sweet fellowship. That kind of sweet fellowship is something that we should be pursuing. We've seen that here already in chapter 2. We've been reminded of this already, that we ought to be pursuing this kind of sweet fellowship that's ours in the Lord Jesus Christ because we have trusted in Christ. If you have put your faith in Christ, you have brothers and sisters who have also trusted in Christ. They are children of God. You are brothers and sisters in Christ. And because of that common bond in Jesus Christ, there's this wonderful potential for sweet fellowship. That's part of the reason Paul says early on in chapter 2 that we're to look out for the needs of each other, that we're to serve one another, that we're not to be grumbling and disputing, but we ought to seek to serve the needs of others. There is this potential for wonderful and sweet fellowship, and this all points to the powerful witness that we can have in the world when there is this sweet fellowship. You can see it in here as he says, my brother... But note also that Paul described him as a fellow worker. There's a reminder here that it's not all fellowship. There's also work to be done. How is Epaphroditus a fellow worker? Well, he and Paul were working together for the cause of Christ to advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul happens to be in chains because he's devoted himself to advancing the cause of Christ. And Paul uses that same term in 1 Corinthians 3.9, speaking to believers, where he says, for we are, get this, God's fellow workers. They are brothers in Christ, they are fellow workers in Christ, and they are God's fellow workers as we are. If we've trusted in Christ, we are fellow workers with one another, and we're God's fellow workers. He and Paul Epaphroditus and Paul were working together for the cause of Christ. And so Epaphroditus was a fellow worker with Paul for the cause of Christ. They have this common bond in Christ, and they have this common focus as they serve together. So God calls us, think of this. There's this it might be kind of subtle here, but there's this reminder that we ought not overlook that God calls us not only to fellowship, which is a sweet thing and a necessary thing for God's glory, but he also calls us to work together, to serve together. We see that in Paul and Epaphroditus. Paul is pointing to Epaphroditus in this, in this way. He was a fellow worker with Paul for the cause of Christ. He was a fellow worker with God because he was advancing the gospel by serving the people who had sent him to serve Paul. He was devoted to making much of Christ, and let's not forget that. 
that we ought to be devoted to making much of Christ with our fellowship and with our service. In fact, Jesus told us to pray for people like this, to pray for people like Epaphroditus who would enter the work of ministering the gospel, people who would devote themselves to spreading the good news. We hear Jesus say to his disciples in Matthew chapter 9 and verses 37 through 38, the harvest is plentiful. It's a passage we're very familiar with, isn't it? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, here's the answer to this problem. Pray earnestly. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Let me give you a word of caution here. Sometimes we think about that and we think that's just pastors and missionaries. So we're going to pray that God will raise up pastors and missionaries to send them out into the harvest. But this is not just talking about pastors and missionaries here. This is really a prayer for all believers to live out their faith. It's really what Paul is talking about in Philippians 2, that all followers of Christ truly be followers and live out their faith to work out their own salvation as they trust God who works in them to will, to giving, giving them the desire and the ability to obey. And when we pray for laborers in God's harvest... We're asking God to raise up people like Epaphroditus. We're asking God, in fact, to help us be people like Epaphroditus. He was a laborer in the harvest. This is really what God is calling us all to. He's calling us all to this, right where we live and work. Some of us he may be calling elsewhere, but for most of us he's probably calling us to to stay put and serve right where we are, in the workplace, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, right where we are now. What a powerful challenge to us from God's word to be like Epaphroditus, to be like Paul, fellow laborers in the harvest. Note also that Paul describes him as a fellow soldier. Now, why the soldier language? Well, because they were engaged in spiritual battle. God's word reminds us that we, followers of Christ, are all engaged in spiritual conflict. And Epaphroditus was willing to face the kinds of dangers that came along with standing firm in Christ, standing alongside his brothers and sisters in Christ. Obviously for Paul, the danger was physical, in, in not only spiritual, but he was here, he was in chains, and he didn't know whether he was facing death or freedom. But he knew that no matter what, he was free in Christ. And that even death would free him to rejoice in Christ for all eternity. And so Epaphroditus comes along to minister to Paul, even as Paul is in chains. And Epaphroditus himself is taking a risk here, but he is willing to take this risk for the cause of Christ, to stand firm in the faith of the gospel. And he was also willing to do the serious work of spiritual warfare, the spiritual battle that comes into the life of every believer. Again, all believers are called to live like this. In fact, God's word teaches us to have what we, what we need is... is Something like a wartime mentality. Not that we take up arms against everyone around us, but we take up arms with the word of truth, with the word of God, to take up arms against the devil, against the deceiver, 
that we equip ourselves for spiritual warfare, that we not take this lightly, that we guard our hearts and souls and minds, and we guard our families, and we guard God's church in the midst of spiritual conflict. Again, all believers are called to live like that, being willing to take up the spiritual battle that all followers of Christ are involved in. Listen to Ephesians 6.12. We're reminded of this there. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We have a common enemy, but it is not other people. And it's not people in this world. It's the devil. Every believer is in the fight of their lives against the schemes of the devil. And so verse 13 says in Ephesians 6, take up the whole armor of God. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Do not take lightly the armor that God makes available to you as his children that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. By the way, that is a good parallel passage to the truths that we learned back in verses 12 and 13 here in Philippians 2. That we are to live out our faith as God works in us. We're to live out our obedience to God's word as God is at work in us. We take up, we stand firm in the truth of the Bible, of God's word, as God works in us so that we are able to withstand in the evil day. When we're surrounded by evil, we need the armor of God and we need to take it up and stand firm with it. And so in these first three descriptive titles, Paul uses for Epaphroditus, brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. There are powerful reminders here. There's also real maturity and faithfulness that's shown in these examples. In fact, Warren Wiersbe says of Epaphroditus, he was balanced also. He was balanced. This is the same kind of maturity and faithfulness and balance that we're being called to here by God's word. This is why this is here to instruct us, encourage us, strengthen us for real balance in the Christian life. As Wearsby says, balance is important in the Christian life. Some people emphasize fellowship so much that they forget the furtherance of the gospel. Others are so involved in defending the faith of the gospel that they neglect building fellowship with other believers. Epaphroditus did not fall into either of these traps. He was like Nehemiah, the man who rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem with his sword in one hand and his trowel in the other. You cannot build with a sword nor battle with a trowel. It takes both to get the Lord's work accomplished. He goes on to say, Dr. H.A. Ironside used to tell about a group of believers who thought only of fellowship They had little concern for reaching the lost or for defending the faith against its enemies. In front of their meeting place, they hung a sign, Jesus only. But the wind blew away some of the letters and the side read, us only. (laughs) It was a perfect description of a group of people who were not balanced Christians. Epaphroditus is is a picture of balance for us, isn't he? And so he's a powerful example for us as as he was Paul's brother, his fellow worker, his fellow soldier in the cause of Christ. But Paul's not done. There's more here. He had been sent to Paul 
Epaphroditus had been sent on a mission. He had been sent to help meet Paul's needs on behalf of the believers at Philippi. And so Paul also describes him as your messenger. He's writing back to the Philippians. He says, Epaphroditus is your messenger to me. He had been sent to Paul in Rome by the church. And it appears that he had been sent to deliver a financial gift to Paul. Later in Philippians chapter 4, in verse 18, we hear this. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. There's a little, a little encouragement there about our own giving. Those things should be fragrant offerings. We are to give willingly and cheerfully. Those are fragrant offerings and sacrifice acceptable, pleasing to God. That's what the believers at Philippi had done. They had put in Epaphroditus' hands these gifts for Paul, these things that he needed, and sent them on the way with Epaphroditus. And so he was a messenger on behalf of these people, on behalf of these believers. But he was also, note it, look at it, he was a minister He was a minister to Paul on their account. He was there to help take care of Paul's needs. So it's clear that Epaphroditus was far more concerned. Remember this and let this be an example to you. Epaphroditus was far more concerned with how much he could give than with with how much he could get. He was more concerned with giving than with gathering for himself. I think these descriptive terms that Paul uses for him make it clear that that's true. Brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, minister. We could sum it up with one word, faithful. Epaphroditus was a faithful servant of God. He was serving the Lord. He was faithful in his service. And as he served Paul, he honored God with his life. And that's something for us all to live up to. That's a challenge to us, isn't it? It's instruction from God's word today, encouraging us, challenging us to live like this. Here's another example that God has given us in his word through Paul's pen. Something that we have to live by. Something that we have to model our lives after. That's something for us all to live up to so that we might glorify God with our lives, with the way that we live our lives, with the way that we speak with one another and those in the world, with the way that we do business in the world in which we live, with the way that we, if we're students, the way that we do our schoolwork and we attend our classes and we spend time with our fellow students. How important for us to model our lives after these godly examples from God's word I also think that this had to be an incredible encouragement to Paul. What an encouraging thing for Paul to have a man like Epaphroditus who came along to serve, to be the messenger for these people from Philippi, these believers, and yet Paul was sending him back. You see it here? He's sending him back. He's putting this letter in his hand and he's sending him back where he came from. Now why would Paul send such a faithful servant back home? We see the reasons for his return in verses 26 through 28. The first reason for his return is given in verse 26. Look at it again. And it's centered around the fact that he cares for these people. He's concerned for these believers who had sent him. Look at verse 26 again. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. 
Now his distress is over the fact that they had heard about his sickness. And Paul, by returning him, could set their minds at ease. And his longing to see them shows not only his love and concern for them, but also how much he missed their fellowship. Epaphroditus missed these dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, they had sent him on a mission, but he was still concerned about them. And that's instructive for our own fellowship here in God's church. We've got to be seeking to have such unity, such fellowship with one another, serving so faithfully alongside one another in God's church. We ought to be seeking to have such joy in fellowship and service together that God's people miss us when we're not here and we miss them when we're not with them. When we're apart, we ought to miss one another. It ought to be something that, that is remarkable, and I find that to be very true. When things are different, we have different kinds of plans. Maybe you've noticed this in your family. You have different plans, and you're out and about, and maybe it's, it's something that takes you away from your home church for the weekend when you're away. It just doesn't seem right. Something's off, something's different, and when you come back, it's so refreshing. That's the way it ought to be. That glorifies God when it's true. This had been a serious illness for Epaphroditus. Verse 27 tells us that he had almost died. Indeed, says verse 27, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, says Paul, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. That was because of God's mercy says Paul, that Epaphroditus was healed, that he was restored to health. God had mercy on him, spared his life. And what Paul sees is that God had also had mercy on him. God had mercy on Paul by sparing Epaphroditus. And then in verse 28, we see a second reason for his return. Paul says, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again. You see, Paul knows that the Philippian believers will be happy to see this faithful servant again, and they will rejoice to see his health restored. They will rejoice to know that he is okay. But there's a third reason. Seen in verse 28 for his return, Paul says it's so that he may be less anxious. So that Paul may be less anxious. Paul was concerned not only for Epaphroditus, but also for these Philippian believers. That's why he's writing them. He's concerned about their spiritual welfare. He is instructing them with these wonderful truths that God has inspired him to write and send to these believers. And He's concerned for their welfare and he's concerned because they were concerned for Epaphroditus when they heard that he was not well. Paul was concerned for Epaphroditus. He was concerned for these Philippian believers. And by returning him to them, it would be a relief to him. It would be a weight of concern lifted from his shoulders. Having Epaphroditus return meant that there would be another faithful servant caring for the needs of these believers at Philippi, and that was a relief to Paul. Again, not only is there an example in the life of Epaphroditus for us, but in in Paul's actions there's an example here for us. 
Paul, again, more, care, more caring and more deeply concerned for the needs of others than his own. Paul cared deeply about their welfare, and so he was eager to send Epaphroditus back home so that they would be comforted, so that they would be encouraged, and so that he would be at ease. He would be put at ease for them. In fact, I think there's a good example here of how looking to the interests of others often meets our own needs. We don't look at it this way sometimes. We think about meeting the needs of others. Hello, spider. He's all over my notes here. We think about meeting the needs of others. From somewhere. We think about meeting the needs of others. We never think about those needs being met, actually meeting our own needs. Paul was concerned for the believers at Philippi. And yet, as he served them by sending Epaphroditus back, he was relieved. His own needs were met. Paul was looking out for the interests of others here. And in the end, it was in his best interest as well, since he would be less anxious or less concerned about the needs of these believers. So after making clear the reasons for returning Epaphroditus, Paul goes on to instruct the Philippians on how they should receive him. In verse 29, Paul says that they should receive him in the Lord with all joy. Now, how's that? How do they receive him in the Lord with all joy? In other words, they were not to be sad that he needed to return. I think that that was a risk. They, they sent him on a mission. <laughs> they were to be glad for his return. They were to receive him with joy. They were to give him a hearty welcome, a hearty welcome home. And note that verse 29 also says that they were to to honor such men. Paul makes a similar point about honoring or respecting those who labor for the sake of the gospel in 1 Thessalonians. Listen to chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So there's a good reminder here teaching us to honor, to respect, to esteem those who are faithful servants of the gospel. And we do that not only with our words, but with our actions by providing to meet the needs of those who serve to advance the cause of Christ. In fact, the believers at Philippi were doing that for Paul by sending Epaphroditus with their gifts. They had done that for Paul by sending Epaphroditus to serve the needs of Paul. And in return, Paul is saying, now serve the needs of Epaphroditus, welcome him back. And we can see here that Paul wants to be clear that Epaphroditus is worthy of their esteem, worthy of their honor. Because of his return, the Philippian believers might have been tempted to say, what in the world? Why are you back already? We sent you on a mission. What's wrong with you? How could you fail us? That's something for us to be on guard against. It's so easy to be critical of others. And so Paul makes it very clear in verse 30 that Epaphroditus had given his all. Look at verse 30 again. He was worthy of their honor. He had given his all, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. 
risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus had served faithfully. Paul wanted to make sure they understood that. They didn't think that he had shortchanged them in his service. No, he had served faithfully, so faithfully that he had risked his own life for the sake of the gospel. Such was the sacrificial service of Epaphroditus. He came close to death, even risking his life to serve the Lord by ministering to Paul, being sent as a messenger and minister by the Philippian believers. And he was worthy, says Paul, he was worthy of their honor and respect because he had gone to do what they could not. And we see here at the end of Philippians 2 a worthy example, do we not? Do we see here a worthy example that we should follow God Hear this. As we read the scriptures, this isn't just some side note that Paul dropped in, oh, and by the way, about Epaphroditus. Don't be too hard on him. This is not that. This is something for us to behold and pay attention to and to learn from. God is calling us to serve him like these faithful examples that he has shown us in his word, Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus that we might shine as bright lights in this world for God's glory, making much of Christ, that others might turn to him in faith and be saved because of our faithfulness to God. Because they look to him and not to us, but they look to him because of us. And we ought to thank God for and follow the faithful examples seen in his word. God's word is filled with wonderful examples of Christ-likeness, of God-glorifying behavior that we ought to emulate and follow. Praise God for his word. It's why we ought to be readers of the word. We also have more recent examples of those who give their all to glorify God with their lives. such as this example from Voice of the Martyrs, as they write. On June 18, 2004, in the Guizhou province of China, while in police custody, a healthy young 34-year-old Christian woman was beaten to death while being interrogated. The police report stated that she died as a result of a sudden disease. But during a break from interrogation, this young Chinese woman had told another prisoner that she had been kicked a lot, her shoes were torn off, and her hair was pulled out. When the family was allowed to see the body, they found much blood on her body and scars from beatings on her legs and neck. One policeman at the funeral home said that it was very obvious that she had been beaten to death. You might wonder what terrible crime this young Chinese woman had committed. The police report stated that she and her mother-in-law had been arrested the day before for suspected spreading of rumor and disturbing the social order and had seriously disturbed the social order by distributing Christian literature to the masses in the market. Indeed, this young woman and her mother-in-law had been handing out Christian tracts and Bibles in the marketplace. For this serious crime, this young Chinese woman, a follower of Christ, was beaten to death. 
many godly examples of faithfulness and service to Christ for God's glory have gone before us. Many people have served so faithfully through the years. Many people we even know ourselves personally who have served faithfully. Some of us have people that we can name and say, I have seen that person serve God faithfully, giving their lives to ministry for God's sake. Serving, whether it's vocational ministry or not, serving in the workplace, serving their families, serving their neighbors. God has been good to give us examples of faithfulness to him in his word. And shame on us if we ignore them and overlook them and sidestep them. How much of yourself are you willing to give for the cause of Christ. How much of yourself are you willing to give to make him known? To help the world around you see him, to help your coworkers, to help your neighbors, to help your children and your family members see Christ in you, at work in you, changing you day by day from the inside out. How much of yourself are you willing to give to God that he might be glorified? As you look at your life, are you devoted to being a faithful follower of Christ and fellow soldier for the cause of Christ? Are you willing to give him your all? I think that's the challenge that we hear in Philippians 2. Are we willing to humble ourselves before God and say, I must give my life to you. I must give my all to you. You've done so much for for me. I must give my all to serve you. How devoted are you? Have you devoted yourself to doing everything for God's glory? To holding yourself accountable to God's word? That your conversation, that your speech might glorify God? That your attitude might glorify God? That your actions, that your work even your recreation, that it might glorify God, that it might be pleasing to God? Have you devoted yourself to doing everything for God's glory so that you might make him known, so that you might show the world the Jesus who saved you from your sins? Are you willing to make him known without complaining, without arguing, but shining as bright lights in the world, looking out not only for your own needs, but also the needs of others? May God help us, each one, be faithful to him until he returns or calls us home. Let that be our prayer.